Welcome to The Art of Being a Mum, the podcast that's a platform for mothers who are artists and creatives to share the joys and issues they've encountered while continuing to make art. Regular themes we explore include the day-to-day juggle, how mothers' work is influenced by their children, mum guilt, how mums give themselves time to create within the role of mothering, and the value that mothers and others place on their artistic selves. My name's Alison Newman. I'm a singer, songwriter, and a mum of two boys from regional South Australia. You can find links to my guests and topics we discuss in the show notes, together with music played, how to get in touch, and a link to join our lively and supportive community on Instagram. The Art of Being a Mum acknowledges the Boendick people as the traditional owners of the land which this podcast is recorded on. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. It really does mean so much. My guest today is Emily Johnson, an author and mother of one from Raleigh in North Carolina in the United States. Emily grew up with a creative mother. She spent many years dancing ballet and golf and she enjoyed many trips to see the Phantom of the Opera. Emily has a background in journalism and marketing. When Emily was 13, her mum was diagnosed with advanced stage ovarian cancer. Statistically, she had very little time left and shortly after she began writing a novel entitled Bird of Paradise. Emily's mum lived for another 17 years. Shortly after her passing, Emily opened her mum's laptop and found her unfinished novel, together with a letter from her mother requesting that Emily finish the novel. It took Emily eight years to complete this epic task, along the way processing her grief through emotional ups and downs, learning more about her mother and creating a legacy for her family. Bird of Paradise was finally published on what would have been her mother's 71st birthday. This episode contains discussions around grief and the loss of a parent, having a baby without your mother in your life and anxiety. The music you'll hear today is from Australian New Age ambient music trio, LM Joe, which features myself, my sister, Emma Anderson, and her husband, John. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you so much for coming on today, Emily. It's a real pleasure to welcome you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So you're in North Carolina in the US. What's it like there at the moment? What's your weather doing? Um, It's doing the typical North Carolina spring. So one day it's winter and the next day it is oppressively hot and humid. So um, I believe today it is supposed to be warm. Tomorrow, thunderstorms, tornadoes last week, and who knows, maybe snow by the end of the week. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) I'm joking about the snow. We're over that. But it's just a funky time of year here. Yeah, right. And like tornadoes, like that doesn't sound that fun, does it? No, no, it's not. I mean, we're not, not like the tornadoes they get in the Midwest, but a tornado is a tornado as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Oh, goodness. Well, that's one thing I have never had to come across here. So that's, you know, I have no experience on that. But, um, (laughs) and you said just while we're chatting that you're not originally from um, North Carolina. Where are you from originally? I am originally from Aspen, Colorado. Ah, yep. Yeah, I'm one of the few that say they were born there. Yeah, right. I was there for 13 years before my family moved to North Carolina. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. That's, um, that is a beautiful part of the world. (laughs) (laughs) 
I kind of think of my creativity as being twofold. Um, by day and profession, I'm in marketing and advertising, which is certainly creative. I call it box creativity because you can only go so far. You've got clients and, and you know, length um, regulations and, and, you know, I mean, a tagline can only be so creative. Um, and then unexpectedly, I just published a book. Um, well, I guess just as a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a work of fiction. So a lot of creativity. It was actually originally begun by my mom when she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And she passed away, leaving it unfinished. And a couple of weeks after she passed away, I found a letter from her that um, had her unfinished manuscript. And she asked me to finish it for her. Oh, wow. So um yeah, it was a Titanic, you know, trying to do that. But after eight years, I finally finished it. And I am still shocked and surprised that it's published. Oh, congratulations. That's an epic, an epic story. So you had no idea that, did you know she was working on it? And you just assumed that it, it had sort of just been left to one side until you read the letter? Yes, I did. I mean, I knew for years she was writing it and I knew she'd spend hours doing it. And I'd always ask what she was writing about. And she'd tell me I'd find out eventually. And then I'd ask, can I read it? And she said, you'll find out about it eventually. (laughs) (laughs) um, You know, and so I had no idea what it was about. I mean, the first time I sat down to read it after she passed, I was just, I was blown away. I was shocked. Um, never in a million years could I have I imagined my mom writing something like this and she's a brilliant woman but um, it was just amazing to me and um, so yeah it was shocking (laughs) oh goodness so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that story there for a sec just leave everybody on the tip of their (laughs) their chairs Wade but I want to go back to to you as a as growing up and as a child I guess were you creative then? Were you interested in the arts or music or things like that when you were growing up? Yeah, I mean, I loved it. I danced ballet for years and years and years, um, certainly not professionally, but it was something that I really enjoyed doing. And so I had an appreciation for the classical arts. I've always been a big fan of musical theater. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in fourth grade, my parents took me to go see Phantom of the Opera, and I was pretty much hooked since then. Um, yeah. I think I've seen it about 14 times oh, um, all over the world, which is kind of, I don't know, crazy, maybe fanatical. But um, I just, I love going to the Broadway shows. Um, and I, I've just always loved the symphony and, mm-hmm. um, you know, any of the arts has just been a huge part of my life. I even wrote grants for the professional ballet company here for several years. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. anytime I get a chance to go and, and see anything in the theater I'm there yeah that's interesting you say about the phantom um that was the first show that I ever saw the town that I live in we're sort of 500 kilometers between I don't know what that is in miles sorry um but we're like halfway between these two major cities in Australia Adelaide and Melbourne so we don't have we don't have big things come here but this one time I don't know how maybe I was 11 or 12 and mum took myself and my sister on the bus to go over and see it and then as soon as the, it finished we got on the bus and drove back home again like it was just this quick trip um but that was oh uh, yeah I can definitely relate to you about that that being the first show that you see it just it's incredible shows and it's just oh, I love it yeah, I mean I when I was a kid I even put on a one woman show the Phantom of the Opera in my living room for my parents with the yeah. paper chandelier falling and everything yeah. oh that's <laughs> fabulous 
Um, you know, and I play the piano, um, yep. you know, just for fun and kind of stress release and things like that. Um, and I, I'm a golfer. I played competitive golf throughout my high school years. Um, and I still play not competitively, but there's some creativity to that. I and mean, when you end up in the woods, you got to figure <laughs> out how to get yourself out of there. Um, with a couple, <laughs> got to envision what could be. So. Yeah. I never thought about golf that way, actually. My husband <laughs> used to play and I never thought he was being a creative person. <laughs> golf, but you know, you know, that's a good point. Yeah. If you're hitting it straight, it's not creative. But if you're all over the place, you got to get yourself over to that green. And who knows how you're going to do it. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. Oh, I do. So um, your mum, she said, you said she was, you know, a, a brilliant person in your words, was was she always um, sort of creative and doing things and, and you were exposed to that when you were growing up? Yeah, I mean, she was very artistic. Um, her art did not pass down to me at all. Um, she never really did anything, you know, other than just for pure joy of it. Um, she used to love doing paper cuttings and um, I still remember her doing apple birds and grapefruit roses for dinner parties. Oh, uh, you yeah. know, she, she just loved that kind of creativity. She was a school teacher. Um, she taught elementary school. She was actually my teacher in second and third grade. Um, it's the only teacher ever sent me to the principal's office. So. Oh. <laughs> oh, dear. So, yeah, that was embarrassing. But, um, you know, then after she retired, when we moved to North Carolina, she, um, did a lot of work with curriculum um, and she worked for, I can't think it's the American Curriculum Development Society, I think is what it was called, don't quote me on that. Mm -hmm. um, and so she did a lot of talks around the country about developing curriculum for elementary school level. Um, but yeah. I just, I always enjoyed watching her create things. Yeah, that would have been like a really awesome sort of environment to grow up with having that, you know, like encouragement and yeah, being, yeah. it was. And she's, yeah. she's every year we used to go to New York and go to some Broadway shows. And um, that was kind of our celebration of our birthdays. And yeah. it always would be Phantom of the Opera would be number one. And then we'd go see a couple others as well. So yeah. I have a lot of memories of that. Yeah. So that, that's amazing. Like that's a really good setup for you, regardless of whether then you actually have this incredible um, task <laughs> given to you by your mum to to complete the book. What what was your first thoughts? I mean, you have shared that you couldn't believe that she'd written it. When you had to think about you then writing it, how did you feel about taking on that task? Um, you know, it's really funny. Writing it was the easy part for me. Um, I, I think I just, I knew my mom so well um, that once I, I read through this and got to know her characters and, and their motivations and, and who they were, um, I actually, the story came to me fairly quickly. I wrote the end before anything else yeah. um, and then backtracked my way to that black and white line of where she ended. And then, you know, when I, when I created the ending of the story and the story arc, I had to complete it. So I had to go back to what she had written 
and mm -hmm. add in events and some conversations just to make it cohesive. Um, but it, you know, it, and so I, I guess in part, it was almost therapy for me because mm -hmm. so much of her, even though it's fictional, is in this book that I was able to, you know, really continue a conversation with my mom for nearly eight years after she passed away. And, and in that immediate moment after her passing is, is very difficult, um, you know, and everyone has a different way of grieving. And this helped me through it enormously um, because it just felt like I could talk to her. Yeah. So how did it feel then when you were coming up to finish it? Did that feel like you didn't really want to finish it? Like you knew that would be the end you know of this yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah I I um I think part of the eight years of me trying to write this um you know I changed careers I had a child which I know we'll probably be talking about yeah <laughs> um and so I had a lot of distractions but part of me also thinks I never really wanted to finish it um because yeah. I knew that would close a chapter on my life with my mom and I could have gone over and over and over this you know, indefinitely, um, but just decided I have to stop at some point and just type the end. Um, and I really thought that was it. I mean, I, I never really intended to publish it. And then I just happened to know someone that knew someone who was in publishing and got my manuscript to them. And all of a sudden they wanted to publish it. So mm. um, it was amazing, but I just, you know, and, and now I can look back on it. It's been 10 years since my mom passed away. So now I can kind of look back on it. Um, and, and, and it's a, a new way of connecting with my mom. You know, our words are going to be forever intertwined in this book. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I can kind of think to that as well. Yeah. That's such a beautiful story. Like it. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm getting emotional now. <laughs> oh, that's just so special, isn't it? Like you're right forever. You're and your mum's words and your ideas and concepts and everything will be together in this one document. That's pretty massive, isn't it? It is. I mean, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. Um, it was so much fun getting to do it. Um, yeah. and, and just knowing that, that her dream of being published was was going to be fulfilled mm, yeah like on one hand it's like I don't want to say it's a lot of pressure to put on you because she obviously knew you were capable or she wouldn't have done it I guess um but yeah, that achieving it is just, you know, like you said, it's, it's meeting that dream that your mom had. And that's pretty special, isn't it? To be able to do that. Well, I think she always intended me to be the one to finish. Um, really? She put the letter and the copy of the unfinished manuscript somewhere where she knew I would find it. Um, it was in, in her closet <laughs> under her computer. And she, I think she knew I'd go snooping for it because I wanted, to, I knew it was on her computer. I knew her password and I think she just knew, you know, I was going to go try and find this. <laughs> um, and so lo and behold, there it was. And yeah, I am, I, my mother never did anything unintentionally. Um, that just wasn't her way. And I really think that she, she knew how much I'd need this. She knew that I'd be capable of finishing it. Um, even if I didn't think I was going to be. And so I think she really, this was her way of, of making sure I was going to be able to make it through the next few years um, until I got to that point in my grieving period where I knew that I was going to make it through versus this is where I'm going to be forever in this empty space 
mm-hmm. you know, without my mom. So, um, you know, and, I, and, and the way with the story goes, I don't want to give anything away, but yeah, there yeah. is a ton of me um, in this. I mean, you can, you can almost in a sense, feel my emotional growth um, throughout, you know, the book as well. And because the book follows a young girl who starts out the age of 17 at the beginning, which is in 1967 in San Francisco, which is when my mom was in San Francisco. Um, That's where she grew up. So Mm -hmm. the 60s in San Francisco, she's got some, had some great stories. (laughs) Um, But, you know, and the book follows a decade long journey of this girl as she, you know, learns to find her place in the world and who she is and, and learns that you have to overcome things in order to find the beauty in life. And so it, and it, there's a very strong central family in it that is very um, much like what my family was. And so I can see little bits and pieces in the characters and the stories and things. Mm-hmm. And I think she, you know, she knew I'd need that. There's a lot of life lessons that you really hope you can pass on to your children, but she didn't know if she'd be there. Yeah. Um, she had terminal cancer. I mean, I was 15. Mm-hmm. She got diagnosed with the ovarian cancer. She'd had breast cancer before that. Yeah. And they told her, you know, statistically, people don't survive this. And she made it nearly 17 years past that. Oh, um, she was what just, she told her doctors, yeah. you know, you, you, you better make sure I'm there to see my daughter walk down the aisle. Yeah. Um, that was her ultimate goal. And I, you know, like I said, I was 15. That was a long ask for terminal <laughs> cancer. Yeah. Um, but she was there. She saw me get married. Um, two of her doctors that were with her the whole time also were there to see me get married. Yeah. Um, which was really special to me. And, mm. you know, she just, she wasn't going to take no for an answer. She was just, mm. that was it. She wasn't going until she was ready to go. And, yeah. and that's, I think what, what made her the survivor she was. Mm. Yeah. Well, that is just an inspiration in, in itself, really, isn't it? But, yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's talk about um, your family there. You mentioned that you you had a child during this process, and um, yeah, share share with us about your family. Um, well, I have one son. Uh, he's seven and a half now, which is absolutely unbelievable to me. Um, and my husband and the three of us live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, my husband's an engineer, and like I said, I do marketing and advertising. And my son, his full time profession is to be crazy. um, I I joke that he's solar powered because he just keeps going and going and going (laughs) but uh the the joy of my life yeah oh I can relate I've got a six and a half year old so you know around that time they just (laughs) they are they're like the energizer bunny they just go and keep going and going and going they just don't stop do they (laughs) no they never do So how was that like then trying to write and, and, you know, (laughs) raise a little ball of energy? (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, I started, I started writing, I I got pregnant, um, I guess, a year and a few months after my mom passed away. And so I, um, I had already started writing this a little bit prior to getting pregnant. Um, And then during the pregnancy process, I was actually, I feel like my creativity went up tenfold. I don't know why. Once I got past that third trimester, that or the first trimester, that was a little rough. We we could do without that. (laughs) But um, 
you know, I had this time, I slowed down my, my actual profession, um, quite a bit during my pregnancy. It was kind of a rough one. So I spent a lot of time at home and this is how I filled my time. Um, and then once he was born, I put it down. Um, I almost forgot about it. (laughs) Um, it was, it was a couple years. I mean, it wasn't until he went to preschool that I was able to pick it up again. And he was in preschool for about six hours a day. So I'd drop him off and then I'd go to a local coffee shop with my computer and just sit and write. Um, and that's kind of how it went about. And then, um, we, you know, when he, he went immediately, um, well, not immediately, he actually ended preschool early because of COVID (laughs) Um, and did virtual kindergarten. So, um, that was a bit rough (laughs) Um, and I did not, you know, it's, um, during the virtual kindergarten is when I was able to get this published. So he'd be sitting there and I'd be editing it, um, and listening to him on the computer as well. (laughs) So, um, so it was definitely on and off and that's, I think why it took me eight years to finish. Mm, Yeah. Um, what I was going to ask you about your identity when, when you became a mum, did you have this sort of shift in, I don't know, we sort of joke that feels like we've been hit by a truck and, you know, we don't know if we're up up the right way or up the wrong way, whatever. Did you sort of experience that sort of emotions when you had your son? I did. I mean, it was funny. I was, um, you know, it was very hard for me giving birth without my mom. Um, my dad's older sister actually came out for several weeks to be there with me. Yeah. Um, and then I was so late in my delivery that she left a couple days after, um, because she, she needed to get back to her family. Yeah. Um, but you know, so I think for the, you know, it's just such a shock. It's like hitting a brick wall where you have those moments of pure joy. And then all of a sudden you think, oh my gosh, I'm responsible for another life. And I don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, and it was, you know, my son sneezed and I immediately wanted to call my mom and ask if I needed to take him to the hospital or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but she wasn't there, you know, and my dad was completely overwhelmed. He's like, well, I don't know. What do you do? <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, and it, it was, you know, so for the first few years, it was really difficult. Um, not that it's not still difficult, but it was just mm-hmm. kind of, I really just became um, Nate's mom. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ended up going back to work. Um, albeit a little differently. It wasn't in the ad agency or nonprofit worlds, but I ended up going back to work and did that for several years. My college roommate, who I was still really good friends with, um, actually ended up watching my son while I was at work, um, which was, you know, I had someone to trust, but I just got to that point where I felt like I was missing him. I felt guilty that he was away from me. Um, and so I stopped working, which I never thought I'd do. I always intended to be that career person that would have a family and juggle their full-time career and figure it out. And then all of a sudden that wasn't important to me. Um, I just, you know, I lost that, that drive to have that type of career. Um, and in advertising, it is very difficult, Mm -hmm. um, not to be a hundred percent committed to the career. If you want to move up, it's just, it's a, it's a cutthroat business, um, And so, yeah, my, my identity as a career woman completely went out the window Mm. and I became a full, you know, full-time mom. Um, And now I'm able to do freelance marketing and advertising. So I have my own clients. I can work, you know, from home on my own schedule. um, And I've built a business that way, which has been fabulous. But 
Mm. I still remember hitting that moment where I, I looked in the mirror and I was like, I don't even know who I am. I mean, I've, I've, everything is now revolved around my family, which is great, Mm. but I saw myself starting to go downhill because I had lost who I was. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? If you, if you don't sort of look after yourself and know who yourself are, is, I suppose you, you do, you do risk just sort of Dis- dissipating I suppose just like you said just being Nate's mum and and that's all you exist for and then yeah. that can be I don't know I, I actually spoke to a lady a couple of days ago when I was recording and she had the same experience um she always wanted to have four children that was her dream was just to have four children and she had two and realized how hard it was but she just kept pushing <laughs> on and she got the four and then she thought she'd be happy they she thought once I've met my goals this is what I want now I should be happy and then she couldn't work out why she wasn't happy anymore and it was because she'd lost sight of who she was and like she was just existing for her children basically so yeah it was it's scary when you get to that point I mean there's a lot of feelings that go into that and I actually you know I had started to try and find my point of passion again that fit into you know that circle of family I mean there's things that I would love to be going to do but you just can't as a mom. I mean, there's, you know, the logistics of babysitting and school and things like that, but I needed to find that thing that was just mine. Um, and I started to do it. I got really into kickboxing and oh. I went to the gym. Um, I had a trainer who had, I've known for years because I broke my back when I, uh, I think from years of playing competitive golf, I, I, I had fractured my back unknowingly, but it came to wow. a head in 2011 and I had to get surgery. Mm-hmm. And so he was my physical therapist when I was able to kind of start getting back to it. So, um, you know, I'd always been working out, but it really became a central focus for me um, when I found out that I had completely lost who I was. And, you know, I obviously, you know, if some, my son needed something, I had to put the working out on the back burner for a little bit, but, you know, I've, I've tried very hard to protect that hour of my day. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. but then, you know, you kind of start losing it a little bit when, when something happens or your son goes to school or, you know, there's a life change. And, um, then I read an article in a magazine, um, that Rachel Harris wrote, she's an actress and you know about her becoming a mom in in the acting world and what she learned um, yeah. about it and she got really into fitness as well um, and, you know and she just she realized that being a happy mother made you a good mother mm. um, you know and, and that so I didn't feel the guilt anymore about really taking that time for myself because I realized what I was doing was actually helping my son and not harming him mm, absolutely yeah that's something that a really common theme on the podcast is people talk about having their own needs met so then they're able to meet the needs of others and I think that's you know as a mum who's there for everybody not you know you're not just there for the children but you know you're there for your partner and your job or if you've got you know pets you've got to look after like you're there for everybody like there's so yeah, many demands I, on you yeah so and it's you, hard you know and I suffer from anxiety Um, I was always a type A personality and then the older I got um, and then having a child took my anxiety up to a huge level and that would interfere with my ability to do things yeah Um, and so you know working out came became the way to combat it Mm. Um, I took it a bit too far not that long ago and broke my ankle doing it (laughs) (laughs) 
So, you know, you have to be, you know, a little careful, but, um, you know, I really did. I mean, if I'm happier, my family's going to be happier. I'm going to be more present in the moment, which is so important. Um, rather than thinking of the, what if this happens or, or I didn't do this right. Or, um, you know, it, it's so important, I think to do that. And I, I fall, you know, off the wagon every once in a while and have a, a moment of complete, you know, panic about things, but, yeah. um, I think I'm getting better. I'm a work in progress. Yeah. <laughs> so. oh, I, I think we all are, to be honest, everybody <laughs> has their moments and then, but I think it's having that goal, like you said, that, that point of passion which I think is an awesome saying I'm going to start using that (laughs) because that is really nice um you know you even if you you're conscious that you haven't done it for a couple of days whatever it's always in your mind now because you've got something that you know makes you feel amazing and and then in turn you know helps you um you know be the the mum that you want to be I suppose um well it's very much it was, that's a lot of my mom my mom because and it's yeah. a theme throughout the whole book is finding that thing that you're passionate about and finding your sanctuary which she always said was you know finding who you are and knowing you know knowing who you are and liking who you are mm-hmm. and once you find that place you know things the good will come um, but she was always one to to live passionately you know she had to face her mortality so she lived you know, saying she lived every day to the fullest it's kind of weird because some days she just, you know, throw up her hands and, and, you know, shout and yell and, and say things I can't say on a podcast, but everyone's allowed to do that. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, if you don't, if you're, if you're perpetually perky, it's, you're hiding things. That's just not human nature. Yeah, that's human um, but yeah. She was a big proponent of, of never letting go of passion in your life. And unfortunately I did. And, um, you know, since that's a theme throughout the book, I mean, this, this book is really almost a, a guide for me at various stages of my life. Um, and I'm forever thankful for that. Yeah. It's awesome. It's like, you've got your own personal little, you know, I, I don't want to call it a self-help book because it's not, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's a, it's a little, little reminder it's for me. you. <laughs> it is. It's certainly self-help, you know, it's not what to expect when expecting, but it is, um, <laughs> It is definitely self-help for me. I mean, I just, there's little reminders in there where I just have to say, oh yeah, you know, I forgot to do that. I, I forgot, I forgot me. I forgot to hold on to that passion. Mm. Um, and I, I really, it has changed my life to, to remember to go back and, and take care of myself. Listening to The Art of Being a Mum with my mum, Alison Newman. That's an incredible gift for your mum to give you too, like to, to raise you in that way and to to actually role model that for you, for you. And then, you know, I'm sure as your son grows up, like he's going to have the same 
sort of mentality because that's how you're authentically living your life in that way it's just I hope so I mean it's you know I can see a lot of me in him with his personality um you know he looks just like my husband except for his hair his hair is as wild as mine is um (laughs) but you know he um he's very type a I can see the anxiety in him I can you know, and I, I'm hoping that I can combat that, um, <laughs> you know, from being on the other side. I know what it's like to have that anxiety, you know, in college. Sometimes it can be, you know, detrimental. It can it can make things very difficult sometimes, um, you know, particularly with exams. And so I'm hoping, you know, that I can, I can impart that wisdom on him like my mom did to me um, or tried to do to me. Um, but it took me to getting an adult and a mother myself to understand exactly what my mom was trying to say to me Mm. the whole time. Um, and you know, and this book is his grandmother's legacy and his mom's legacy. I did very similar to my mom. I tried to put in, um, you know, like I said, it's a fiction, but there is some very deep, you know, things for me. Um, Mm -hmm. not only, you know, with the storyline and places that the book goes that I wrote from experience, I mean, he'll get to, you know, see some of my experiences in life. Um, but it's also, I tried to put in, in those lessons that I want to pass on to him as well. Yeah. Um, And it's, it's, he's very proud of it. I, which just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. He, he drew an art, an art class. He drew a picture of the cover. So, um, and I just, you know, I went to tears when I saw that. Oh, that's beautiful. Cause yeah, that's, that's was something I was going to ask you is like, how does, you know, does he know that his mum's an author and obviously he does. And yeah, like he's oh, yeah. very proud of it. Um, no, I mean, to hear him talk, yeah. you'd think I was like a best-selling, you know, New York times famous author. <laughs> so yeah, that's great see I mean every you you hope that your children see you as this hero figure in your life um you know that's how I saw my parents I was very close to my parents I was an only child just like my son is going to be um because I was after his birth I was one and done (laughs) it was not going to happen again (laughs) oh I was yeah that was not um I'm so thrilled with the way it turned out but it was not pleasant (laughs) so um yeah but yeah. it, it's just, you know, that's just, it makes it worth it. Mm. Yeah. I nearly, I, I nearly only had one because I had a very terrible delivery and then a very challenging baby. So my kids have got seven, nearly seven and a half years between them. because <laughs> It took a while to get back on the wagon. <laughs> Oh, I mean, I oh, I understand that. I just never got back on the wagon. Yeah, good for you. That ship had sailed. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> yeah nah good on you like, we'll get a dog that'll, that'll yeah. fill it <laughs> yeah no I, I so could have easily have done that and I was at the point where I was either going to get a hysterectomy or have another child like that's how my brain was like flip-flopping between the two <laughs> options you know <laughs> and it was if it wasn't yeah, for I my just, husband yeah, it was not <laughs> it was not not in the cards <laughs>
tell us the name of the book. It's called Bird of Paradise. Can you share why it's called that? Or is that sort of a, comes out in the book more? Would you rather not? Um, you know, it's funny. I, I don't, you know, my mom titled it. And um, I found out from the very little notes that she left that at one point she was going to um, call it Letters to My Daughter, um, which just gives me the warm fuzzies um because a lot of it is kind of of that um the relationship between the mom and the daughter it's it's a lot of that but um she her favorite flower in the world was bird of paradise she had one um in the room that she did the majority of her writing so it does you know for her it, it there was a bird of paradise flower that the mother took everywhere the family went um, because the father's job takes them to all these different exotic locations like London and Paris and Hong Kong and Jakarta and um, all these amazing places. And so she always brings the bird of paradise with her, but that's where it ended with my mom as part of the story. And because I knew how important it was, I carried it into a much larger theme where it became symbolic and not necessarily just the flower. Mm-hmm. um so there's it, it's twofold um you know and, and there's bird of paradise all over the cover <laughs> so, <laughs> there's a there's an island in the book um which is the family's true home even though they live all over the world and that island is is the one place in the book that doesn't really exist um it was all made up in my mom's mind I've had so many people ask me you know where is it and I have no earthly idea, but it is this beautiful, idyllic, tropical island that I would love to find someday. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there's Bird of Paradise on it. So. Yeah. So just coming back to how you approached writing the book, did you have to, did you find that your style of writing was already like similar to the way that your mum had written because you'd been reading it? Or did you have to make a real conscious effort to try and make the way that you're writing blend in with your mum's? It was a very conscious effort because just um, my background is in journalism and marketing, which is not descriptive and poetic. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you have to say what you want to say and get out of there. Um, And so, you know, for me, it was, I wrote very black and white. My mom was very descriptive, um, you know, very, I've had people compare it to a movie in the mind. Mm. So there was no little detail she left, you know, hidden. And, um, you know, so my first draft of this, you could tell it was two different writers. (laughs) I mean, it was, my draft was very, you know, just, this is what happens. These are the facts and here's the story. And, yeah. and I knew that was going to happen. Um, so I had to go back over, you know, my, my sections of it. And just, I've, I've said several times and I, I hold true to it, that it was like an oil painting where you just add layer upon layer of description until I got to that level of what my mom's writing was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that took, you know, it, it took a massive amount of, some of it was, um, evaluating my internal feelings and, and, and using that to, to get to that level. A lot of it was 
finding Google images that spoke to me that made sense within the story and describing them Um, or finding, you know, um, this book goes somewhere and I don't want to reveal where it is, but this book does go to a location that um, is one of the most special places in the world to me. And so I was able to pull out old family photos and, and the feelings I had of seeing these things in person and, and use that to really describe it. I'm still shocked that I was able to do it. Um, I'm shocked that nobody really knows the true line of where I took over hundred percent, not even my publisher. Um, you know, it's just my father is the only one that knows. And I hope it stays that way. Um, I've had people guess and, you know, and things like that, but I, I don't want really any, I don't want to reveal that. No, no, I, I, yeah, even if they guess right, you're not going to tell them because it's. No, no, I'm just going to smile and say, you know, no. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Nice try. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's the thing too. It's, it's, it's part of this incredible story. It's the joining together, but at the same time, it's the same. It's one and the same, if you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you, you, you wouldn't want people to, to like to tell people because I don't know. It just doesn't, it wouldn't feel right, would it? Oh, no. And it was very important to me, you know, that I stay true to my mom's story. This was her story. Um, you know, I, I made sure her name was listed first on the cover. Um, that was really, really important to me for some reason. It's a small little detail, but that was, that was essential that that happened because it is hers. These characters are hers. Just because mm-hmm. I completed their story art doesn't mean I took them over. Um, And I didn't want to take away from her writing, you know, I could have easily gone in here and just stripped her writing down to match more my writing style. And the book is over 550 pages long. It's a, it's a saga of a book, but, and I could have certainly done that, but then I would have, it wouldn't have been hers anymore. And that's what's so special about it. And she didn't leave any notes for me whatsoever. There was no outline she created every character with the exception of one. I just had a name and knew who that character was supposed to be in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a lot of fun for me to create that particular character. I have a feeling she did that on purpose. I don't think she wanted to box me in. Yeah. I think she wanted me to be able to take the story where I wanted to take it. Um, I actually don't even remember her writing for the last year of her life. Um, granted, I didn't live at home, but um I think she stopped intentionally. I mean, I just, I, I don't know why I just have this feeling, but I think she, she did not want me to feel like I had to stick to one particular, you know, story. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think where I took it is exactly where she would have. Um, Cause I knew her like that. I knew the, the way she thought, um, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this book starts as a coming of age family saga. And then as the main character, gets older and more experienced, it works its way into a romance. And, um, you know, I think, you know, and and I I just think that's something she wanted me to experience as well. Mm. Yeah. This is such an awesome story honestly how many people could say that they've done what you've done like <laughs> it's just you must feel like incredibly like proud and privileged and you know all the all the big words and emotions like to have been able to do it I'm so honored um, yeah. by the fact that she entrusted me with something that she had worked so hard on and 
and I am very proud of it. Um, I'm, I'm blown away by the reception it's gotten, um, the things that people have said. I mean, I've been compared to famous authors that I never in a million, you know, Barbara Freethy, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. <laughs> you know? and, and, you know, and then, you know, so it's just been absolutely incredible, you know, the experience and the, almost the confidence that it's given me. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I mean, that's something as a mother, I, I don't know if it's just me or a lot of mothers, you start losing your confidence and your ability to do things. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, am I ever going to be able to do this again? Or is this any good? Or am I any good? You know, and, and I think a lot of that comes down to a first time mother, you don't know what you're doing. So there is not a lot of confidence in that. And you carry that through other aspects of your life. Yeah. Because that's just the mode you get into is you just don't know if you're, if what you're doing is right. Mm. And that's the thought patterns you have. Um, and I've always had a bit of a confidence issue anyway. So it just amplified itself. Mm. But, um, you know, and then it, the thing that's really been special is the people that have reached out to me less about the book and more about the fact that they've experienced losing a parent or they grew up with a parent that was facing a terminal illness and what that was like for them. Mm. Um, or somebody that I hadn't even spoken to since middle school reached out because his mother had just been diagnosed with cancer. Um, and, and that is where things have so surprised me. Um, cause I've done a lot of podcasts that have been more grief based podcasts than yeah. writing technique. And, um, that's, I think a gift my mom left as well. She was, you know, she'd be in the chemo treatment room in the middle of eight hours of chemo, talking to the person next to them and encouraging them and and getting them talking about things that were not cancer related. And that was just the person she was. She was this Mm -hmm. larger than life personality that put so many people and so much ahead of her, not to her detriment, but I think it was part of what kept her going as well. Um, You know, and now I'm getting to do that and carry that legacy on. Everyone talks about the seven stages of grief or what it is, which, which to me is a bunch of hooey because nobody goes through grief the same way. Yeah. Um, you know, you might feel the guilt, which for me was the hardest part, you know, and obviously you're going to feel that empty void and things. And, and I'm still 10 years out grieving. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I've hit this point where it's, it's therapeutic to me to now talk about it. I spent years where I could not talk about it. It just was something you know, I wasn't in denial, but I didn't want to bring up the memories in that last few days because she, um, despite the fact that she fought cancer for 17 years, the end was very quick. She was there one day and on life support the next day, and she passed away the day after Christmas in 2012. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in a sense, you know, you never want to lose someone, but you kind of hope it goes that way. You don't want to see them with a a slow decline, 
Um, We were lucky. I got a chance to say goodbye because she knew where things were going. I knew where things were going and she had prepared me very well for it. Um, you know, not that you can really say you're prepared for that, but I, I was lucky. I got a chance. The last thing I ever said to her was, I love you. And she said that back and that was it. And I was, I just, that's a gift that I will have forever, but you know, I'm still, I'm still, like I said, I'm still grieving and being able to now talk about it from a way of maybe helping other people Mm. is my new stage of getting through this. Yeah. You know, so it's not just helping, you know, it's helping me talk about it. Mm. yeah absolutely and like you say you can feel like you're prepared I mean yeah there's you can do some preparation I guess but when it actually (laughs) happens it's like yeah it's it's I got that closure that that conversation actually she was fine the night before she went on um life support she's in the hospital but she was fine and she and I stayed up almost all night with that, that conversation of closure where you, you know, you talk about things. I mean, when I was a brat as a teenager, you know, <laughs> and I got a chance to apologize or I got a chance to tell her, you know, Hey, I'm going to be okay. You know, I I've married this wonderful man. I've, I've got this in store for me, you know, be comfortable with the fact that I, I, I've gotten to that place in my life where I'm, I'm happy where I am, you know, and, mm. and I didn't need to apologize for that stuff, but yeah. It, it's you say everything you need to say knowing that that's the conversation you're having yeah yeah oh sorry I just gotta take a moment have a drink of water <laughs> <laughs> well I'm, I'm gonna have some coffee you're right about grief I mean gosh there there is no there is no linear checklist of all the things that you go through in this particular order and you know my nana passed away when I was 10 so that's like 40 sorry 30 34 years ago and I still have moments where I just burst into tears because something's reminded me of her or I I smell something usually it's a smell that Mm -hmm. gets me or I see a particular bird pardon me <clears throat> and I just like oh Nana used to love those birds and then off I go you know it's like you never you never stop grieving someone I don't think it's just in different ways as time passes yeah, yeah I mean I've told you know there's a lot of people that say hey it'll be okay but you know what it's not you know I used to hate it when people would tell me that because it's never going to be okay that I lost my mom but it's going to be different um, mm. I'm going to get to that point where I can look back at the gift of the time I had and not at what I've, what's been taken from me. Mm. Because it would be, you know, it's in times like that, it's, it's very easy to get angry and, and resent, you know, whoever or whatever, you know, it's not fair, you know, all this sort of emotion. Did you sort of go through that as well? I didn't go through the, it's not fair kind of stage. Um, I remember the first few weeks afterward, you know, you're, you're calling the banks and taking care of the credit cards and the medical bills and things. And I had my dad to go through all of it with, but you're very, you know, systematic once you right away, which I think is a blessing because you, you're not, I don't think, at least for me, I was not capable of facing the fact that she was gone in those first few weeks. It was just not going to happen. It was actually the day I found the letter about the book that I finally realized you know, it's the casseroles have stopped coming. The family's gone. People have gone back to their lives and mine will never be the same again. And that's the day, the first day that I really let myself go. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, but I, I think for me, the, the place I stayed the longest is also the place that's the most detrimental and that's the guilt. Mm. Um, the guilt that, you know, things you said, the smallest little things, you know, teeny tiny little things that the person probably had didn't even remember and all of a sudden they come flooding back and you just feel so guilty about the things you've said and, and certain things and the fear that, you know, I had, I went into an instant state of fear with my dad. Um, I wasn't, I couldn't lose my dad. I, every little thing, you know, don't get in a car dad or make sure you're taking your medicine or, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I I stayed down with my dad for a couple months afterward. um, Cause I was able, you know, thank God I was able to do that. Um, But, you know, and, and, and so it's those two feelings that really were hard for me. And that guilt took a lot of time to get over. I, I did go see a therapist. Um, I am not, despite the fact that I talk about it on podcasts now, at that point, I was not someone that would share my emotions. I don't cry in front of people. It's just mm-hmm. not, not me. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to show, it's not a weakness a whatsoever to express your emotions. But to me, I felt like it was showing a weakness and I couldn't do that. I also wanted to be strong for my dad. He'd lost someone he'd been married to for 43 years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, and he was young. I mean, my mom was only 63 when she passed away. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. and so my dad was in his mid sixties as well. And I, you just don't expect something like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, but it, and so I let myself stay, you know, and it was, it was not a therapist that got me there. She said something about guilt. And I all of a sudden realized that's what's preventing me from moving forward. I have got to get this guilt. I've got to work through it. I have got to let it go. Mm. Um, and, and so that was the biggest part for me. Um, but you know, I never went through the anger. I never went through the denial. Yeah. Um, I think I just let myself be overcome with the guilt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My dad sold their house um, and moved into another house. And that was a hard thing to say goodbye to. And then, you know, going through clothes and, um, you know, my mom had a lot of beautiful jewelry, so I've gotten to keep that. And, you know, but I did get rid of clothes except for the few that I will never wear, but they just hold special memories for me. I mean, one of them was this, you know, duster jacket she used to wear to Phantom of the Opera every time it was her thing. That's not going anywhere. (laughs) And there's pieces of furniture that are memories of my childhood, which are completely not my style, but I can't give them up. Mm. Um, So they're in my, you know, guest room, which is the eclectic room of things that I don't know what to do with. Yeah. you know, it's the memory room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a difficult thing. I think with every little thing I've been able to let go, I've healed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that, you know, it's it's just a process. Yeah, yeah. And it will just take as long as it takes to go through different emotions at different times. And it's just an ongoing thing, isn't it? It doesn't have an end. Yeah. No, it never has an end, but it gets better. Yeah. just going back to you to what you said earlier you said about how you've gained confidence um do you think you'll write another book um I have another book idea it's actually related to bird of paradise and it's the story of the parents that are in it um I see a lot of my parents in those two characters 
Um, and it's funny because there's a little bit of everybody in all the characters. I mean, there's a lot of my dad and the little brother. Um, yeah. My mom, you know, clearly didn't like my high school boyfriend. And I didn't know that until I read the character of the high school boyfriend. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I know who that is. <laughs> oh, good one. <laughs> um, you know, and, and the, the way the parents met in this book is the way my parent my parents actually met they met at uc berkeley um and so it would be really neat for me to go back i'd have to go back much further um in time since this book starts in 1967 which was um a whole nother issue with trying to write it was that it happened during time period i wasn't alive um, <laughs> so that was that was a lot of research going into that yeah. but um you know, so I'd have to go back quite a bit, but it would be, it would almost start the connection again. And, and it would give me a chance to um, go to my dad and find out about his life and, and use that to put into it. Um, so it's, it's there, it's in my mind, I've tried to start it and it's, I just can't get past the first sentence. Um, yeah. You know, and I think that's an important thing for a writer to recognize when you've hit that writer's block and just walk away for a while. I've got too much going on with my clients and and keeping up with my seven-year-old yeah. <laughs> so um, it's just not right now it, it's more of a, a stress than it is of a way to relieve stress and yeah. that's you know, writing Bird of Paradise was very stress you know a way for me to escape the world a way for me to let go of some stress and get that emotion out it's and it in a very positive way, this new book, trying to write it, I just felt this is a negative thing yeah. for me. Um, yeah. And it's, it's time to walk away. So yeah. I don't know, is really the answer to the question. I hope yeah. so. Yeah, I hope you do too. Yeah, it, when the time's right, you know, when, yeah. when yeah. life, when life gives you that little nod and says, okay, now it's your turn. <laughs> yeah, and I'm a big believer in that, that, you know, things happen for a reason and there's little, you know, I, I always, my mom always kind of taught me that, you know, you can't control what happens in life, but you can control how you respond to it. Mm. And that there's moments where you're given gifts, but whether or not you choose to take them is completely your choice. And you're the one that writes your own story. Um, and that actually is heavily um, put into Bird of Paradise because it's something that my mom and I had talked about so many times that, you know, nothing, nothing is going to be, you know, necessarily given to you. You have, you're presented with these gifts and then it's your choice whether or not you go with it. Mm -hmm. And they can, they can come to you at any moment, um, but they'll come to you at the right moment when you need it the most. Mm -hmm. um and you know, so hopefully that that gift of writing a new book will present itself at some point and yeah. then I will jump on it <laughs> yeah. oh that is so good So can you share with us um, how readers can get a hold of your book? Yeah, it's sold exclusively on Amazon. Um, it is, um, there's, believe it or not, a lot of books called Bird of Paradise. Most of them are nonfiction about the actual flower and bird. So be careful there. <laughs> but it's, yeah. yeah, so it's, it's, it's by Marilyn Ann Hughes and Emily Hughes Johnson. 
and um, it's on Kindle Unlimited. There's a paperback, uh, Kindle itself. Um, so yeah, I would love people to read it. I mean, sharing my mom's work with the world has just been incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know. And if you like it, review it because reviews are really important. (laughs) Yes, reviews are. Reviews reviews make the world go round, don't they? (laughs) They do. And unfortunately, I mean, it's it's something I find myself doing more since having published a book as an Mm -hmm. unknown author. I mean, I'm completely, no one knows who I am. Um, My goal was to sell one book to someone that wasn't related to me. Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) and that, you know, it's happened. It's been great. But, um, you know, I find, you know, reviews are so difficult, particularly with Kindle Unlimited, you know, people aren't going to go back and, and, and take the time because we're all busy to go write a review, even though, you know, I know what the sales are and things like that. And so yeah. Yeah. I've tried to find, you know, books that don't have a lot of reviews, because I think a lot of incredible books are missed because people look at that and not at the book. Yeah. Um, and I have found some incredible books that don't have that many reviews that I, I just wish, you know, I, I hope I don't, you know, I don't want to miss out on something mm. from these unknown authors. And I'm not trying to tell people to get, well, yes, go buy my book, but yeah, I'm not trying to do. say, you know, <laughs> don't miss it because of reviews, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's something the publishing industry is so incredible now that they have opened up smaller hybrid publishers, um, self-publishing, you know, things mm-hmm. like that that you have this option for really talented writers who for one reason or another can't get in with the top five publishers and a lot of that is money Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of you know money and time to go query and get an agent and then get into these publishing companies and they're so rigid about what they will and will not you know publish and I, I follow a lot of writers on Instagram and Twitter. And one of the things from the smaller writers is they get turned down. You know, they get these letters that say it's an incredible story. We love it, but you don't have enough social media followers. Oh, God. You know, and that's, that's, oh, that is so limiting to people. It's just, yeah. you have to wonder how many incredible stories are out there that will never be seen because of something so unrelated. It's not about, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, the top five publishers are wonderful, but, you know, you're almost concerned about sales more than getting a beautifully written story out there. And that's a real shame because, I don't know, I have this feeling that, you know, social media exists now, but will it be around forever? You know, like these, the stories and, and books will probably outlive all of this stuff, you know, and that would be a shame for something to have, it, just because it was in this time period when social media was around and it's being judged by that, for that not to be shared, it's a, I I hope, I, such I, a shame. Social media is great and being able to connect, you know, this huge world, but it is also so detrimental mm-hmm. to society. And I use it. I have to. I mean, that's yeah. one of the ways that I market the book. I don't have a choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. But <laughs> if it wasn't for that, I would start giving up social media because I, I just, you know, it's just not, it can be, you can go down the rabbit hole very quickly oh, yeah. and it's not necessarily a good thing. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I basically got, I ended up getting off Facebook for my own personal stuff because I just, I just couldn't put up with the rubbish anymore. I just thought like rabbit hole stuff. I just get dragged into things and think, why am I? caring about this you know (laughs) so now I just go on Instagram and then I just link it to 
go on my Facebook so I never have to go onto Facebook. But then I miss a lot of things. If people tag me and stuff or invite me to things, I'm like, oh, sorry, I missed that. <laughs> Your best friend's having a baby and you don't know about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Put it on Instagram. Then I'll know. No. <laughs> Yeah, share it with everybody and then I'll be able to, you know, call you and say, hey, congratulations. (laughs) But it is funny, like this whole thing that's meant to bring us closer, like we know what people are doing. So we feel like we know what they're doing, but we're not really knowing what they're doing because we're just seeing all these little tiny curated aspects of their lives. And it's, it's sort of pushing us apart more in a way. Well, and I think you try and present your best self on social media. I mean, who doesn't, you know, you, yeah. you don't, you want to make sure you're presenting the, the highlights. And so many people forget that it doesn't matter who you are. Life is dirty. I mean, it, there's going to be moments where you, you don't want to present yourself to the world. And so yeah. you don't. And I think it gives a false sense of who people are, unfortunately. Um, unless you're one of those people that is blatantly you know giving yourself out there to just showing all the aspects of your life and there are some people out there and I appreciate you know the people that do that I think it takes a lot of courage to be able to put the good the bad and the ugly out there Um, but I think that's something a lot of people unfortunately forget that this isn't showing the whole story Um, and I think it it negatively influences a lot of people Um, yeah. it's happened to me I've looked at things and I'm like gosh you know it's it's that that big ugly jealous thing yeah. where you're, yeah. you're like why can't I be doing that or or yeah. you know and it's and it's not necessarily happening that way being a mom is like that too you start comparing yourself to other mothers and mm-hmm. you know every mom is different every situation is different and and you know you you want this pride in your your child and you want your child to excel and exceed but if you're not careful you're starting to compare them to others and not mm-hmm. to their best self yeah. um and and you know and, and I've had to pull myself back from that every once in a while question am I being a good mom you know, and, and, but it's, it's, am I being a good mom for my son, not for the kids of the entire world? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, that's the, you know, people think physically being a mother is hard, but there is a lot of emotional second guessing and, mm. you know, and, and am I doing this correctly? What, you know, am I a terrible mother? Am I a good mother? Am I, you know, mm. am I completely screwing my kid up for the future? Um, yeah. and unfortunately a lot of people don't talk about that unless they're moms themselves <laughs> oh yeah that's the thing like this the mum guilt that sort of label that we've got I, I call it a hashtag mum guilt because it's like it's just been created <laughs> for for social media but it's it's huge like the way that we're forced to judge ourselves because I don't know the, what I find mostly is that other mums too but mostly people that don't have children are like, well, how come she's doing that? Why isn't she with a child? Or, oh, she, she's gone out again that night, you know. Like they, they're just always making judgments upon you, which makes then you question yourself. Like you said, you, you know, you don't have that self-confidence. So you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, but <laughs> I don't know. It's just, I, I get sick of this whole guilt, guilt trip that 
mums feel like they have to go on? <laughs> well, and I think just, you know, societal norms. I think a, a bulk of society hasn't gotten past the 1950s mom, mm. you know, where the mother is 100% the mother, you know, and that's your focus and that's what you do. And you, you know, I don't want to say you give up life because that is wrong to any mother in the 1950s. It's not that, yeah. but there's this almost, um, you know, it's, it's almost Hollywood created view of what a mother should be. Mm. And that hasn't, that hasn't morphed to match the sign of the times, you know, we're, we're way past the 1950s. Now things are different. Mm. Women can be more independent and they can start putting themselves, you know, ahead of things because it's the healthy thing to do. And I think when someone sees a mother that does that, that doesn't understand that, that that is not being a bad mother. It is being a good mother. Mm. That is, that is how, you know, we, we deserve to be able to do stuff like that so that we can come home and then put a hundred percent focus into our families again, because mm. it's impossible. I mean, it's exhausting. And, and mm. I don't think I've seen my friends that are moms that have just stopped everything to be a mother, which, you know, when you have a newborn, you kind of have to do that. You don't really have mm. a choice, but if you never change as your child grows older either, Mm-hmm. It's very detrimental. And it was for me. I mean, I, I've learned to start going out with my friends a little bit. Um, yeah. Not to date the podcast, but COVID put a stop on that one pretty good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really excited to start doing that again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and it's funny because I, 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 during the last few years with everything that's been going on, I have found myself going back to that time where I'm not able to go to the gym. I'm you know, my son's home. I don't have that, that time to myself while he's at school. And Mm -hmm. I've, I have relapsed into that forgetting about myself every once in a while. And when I do that, I go back to that article I talked about from Rachel Harris and and reread it. It gives myself a little bit of a a kick in the rear, like, oops. (laughs) (laughs) Give yourself a pep talk and then off you go again. Yeah. to find that letter it would just be like oh man like I don't know it's just a it's huge isn't it it's massive it Do you was sometimes think at the time yeah go on go on I on the time at the time I didn't realize just how big it was yeah um you yeah. know you kind of don't you're not thinking so much at that point yeah yeah like you said you're going through the motions and doing all the practical stuff that it's got to be done and yeah now nah, good on you I'm really glad my curiosity got the better of me and I tried to get to her computer. I mean, she's, I'm she sure she's smiling down at me over that. She knew, she knew I would try and do that. Oh, good on her. Well, I really loved having a chat with you today, Emily, and hearing your story. It's such a unique story. I'm sure I'll never speak to anyone again in my life who has done what you've done. Uh, congratulations. It's, it's a Thank massive you. undertaking and it's, it's incredible. And I'm really looking forward to reading it. And yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Great. Yeah. Um, it's been crazy (laughs) yeah wow thanks for your company today if you've enjoyed this episode i'd love you to consider leaving us a review following or subscribing to the podcast or even sharing it with a friend you think might be interested if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast please get in touch with us via the link in the show notes I'll catch you again next week for another chat with an artistic mum.